Okay, lights, camera, okay, we're all set. Well, it's good to see you guys again, um, both here in, in person and for those relaxing on your comfortable couches and comfy chairs at home. Um, it's definitely an interesting time that we are living in right now. I never thought that I'd preach to a room full of people wearing masks. Um, it almost feels like I'm talking with a bunch of superheroes. I don't know your secret identity, and so, and I don't have mine on, so yeah, so there's that. Well, anyway, my name is Jason, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads. Pastor Brian, our lead pastor, is finally taking a much-needed weekend off after being going for so long. Um, so with that, you're going to get a slightly different perspective on 2 Thessalonians. We're nearing the end of this very short book, slash letter, slash two pages in a Bible. Um, Brian will finish up this series next Sunday. So now let's read 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15, taking into account what we just heard in the video. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as the enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Well, last summer, we went through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and this summer we've been focusing on 2 Thessalonians. In both 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the themes of idleness and Jesus' return are addressed. We don't exactly know how long it was between Paul's writing of these two letters, but it seems they were struggling with changing their thought patterns and actions on those issues during this in-between time. Since Pastor Brian already spoke on Jesus' return a couple weeks ago, we're going to focus primarily on the topic of idleness. Well, as we saw in the video, there were two primary perspectives on what caused people to be idle. The first is that the Thessalonians thought Jesus was returning very soon. So they stopped working and waited so that they could be ready. They were so afraid that they might miss his coming, or worse yet, they might have already missed it. And so a lot felt this way. But I'm not sure if this would be the core reason 
for their idleness, even if they felt that Jesus was coming back. If Jesus was coming soon, wouldn't you want to be as prepared as possible? And being idle in the days and the weeks and months prior to his immediate return might not be the best tactic to take. The examples Jesus gave on being ready for his coming usually required some sort of work. Like the parable of the talents, there was some sort of work involved. The sheep and the goats, there was some sort of work involved. But how did these idlers get by financially if they weren't working? More than likely by the generosity of patrons or even by the church itself. The video brings up the idea of patronage as being the biggest contributing factor to this idleness. Thessalonica was a city of about 200,000 people, so a little bit bigger than Lima, and was very much entrenched in the Roman patronage system. This meant that there were rich patrons and there were clients, which were typically just a class lower than the patrons. Both of these groups of people were typically citizens who considered manual labor to be beneath them. Manual labor was for the slaves and for the poorer classes of the city. So, so each morning, the clients would be expected to show up at the patron's house. Then the clients would follow these patrons to legal, political, and city proceedings. The larger an entourage of clients that a patron had, the more power that the patron had in that city. But they had to compensate these clients in order to keep this power and to grow it. Throughout the day, these rich patrons would ask the clients for minimal favors or tasks, some moral, some not so moral. Like you saw prostitution in the, in the video, there were other ones as well. The clients would support the patrons by vigorously lobbying for their patrons in public and severely criticizing and villainizing others who were running against their patron in office or were simply perceived by the patron as a threat. In exchange, the patrons would invite the clients to their bathhouse, to the city bathhouse, or to the banquets at the end of the day. Um, they might also offer legal protection or loans. But know this, it wasn't a job. It was just an arrangement where sometimes the clients got favors in return for doing favors for the patrons. And since most of, most of these tasks did not take a lot of time, in the end, these clients had a lot of time on their hands. The other way that people could have been supported financially was through the church. From the earliest beginnings of the church in Jerusalem, they set up a communal way of living where people would put their earnings into a common pool of resources. And then they would use it to care for the needs of the less fortunate. This is a wonderful system of care. But the system could also have helped those who didn't have money or resources due to not working. Or by their participation in the patronage system that wasn't a wage, but just favors. Regardless of whether they were idle because they actually thought Jesus was coming very, very soon, or because of the Roman patronage system, or even the communal church system, idleness was definitely an issue in the church. Personally, I believe it's a combination of all three perspectives. People were, were looking for Jesus coming soon. They knew of the patronage system and of the, the church system. More than likely, 
Paul knew that this idleness was a problem from the moment he got there. That's why he didn't accept food or money from the people of the city. Instead, he worked with his hands as a tent maker and got paid so as not to be involved in this corrupt system of patronage. He worked, he said he toiled day and night. And he didn't want to have to owe favors to a patron who sponsored him. An exchange was expected to give something to the patron in return. And he could have easily got involved in the system since Paul was actually a citizen of Rome. It was a title that he had received from birth. It's the highest class of citizenry. Yet he worked as a tent maker, a manual labor role of the slaves, or at least of the lower classes, because he wanted the words that he spoke and what he did to come free of charge and without condition. He wanted there to be no ulterior motives, either real or perceived. And while idleness is the general practice he is confronting, the effect of idleness is what he really wants to change. In verse 11, he writes, Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Another translation says they are being idle and disruptive. Paul is echoing almost the exact same thought, almost the exact same sentence in 1 Thessalonians when he wrote that those that are idle and disruptive are meddling in the lives of others. The same passage, I don't know how long apart. Well, when Paul and Silas first entered Thessalonica, for the first time, they encountered similar disruptive meddling in their own lives, similar disruptive. disruptive. Um, They were preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike. They were coming to know Christ. And this was the Jews' response, or many of the Jews' response, from the book of Acts, chapter 17. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason. That is a cool name. I like that. You know Brian just had me speak on that because I'm talking about Jason, but that's all right. Okay. And some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Not only that, but these same people then went to Berea, the next city where Paul entered. Trying, they tried to turn the crowds against him there as well. It's probable that some of these same people, or at least the same type of people, had begun infiltrating the church. So it's a good thing that Jason was there to help with the church, to help them not squelch some of their efforts. Anyway, I digress. Let's go. Okay, the church was supposed to have been a community where people supported and built each other up. 
But these individuals mentioned in Acts and in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians use their free time to meddle in others' lives, to disrupt the community, tearing others down. Like I mentioned previously, this critical nature that vilified others was a common practice if you were a client. And they seemed to bring their bad habits of patronage to the church. The negativity towards people with different views than their own would easily lead to gossip, would easily lead to divisiveness and tearing others down. So that's them. How does this passage affect us today? Most of us who call Crossroads home are probably working and drawing consistent income in some fashion. If not, it's probably because we aren't physically able to. Or we have a spouse who is drawing income. Or maybe are affected by some worldwide pandemic. Or by chance, I'm retired. I don't, I don't know. But um, it's still, we're, we're, idleness is still part of our daily lives. Um, we might not be involved in the Roman patronage system, although we might to a degree. We also no longer have the communal living pattern that much of the early church adopted, although that would be a good thing to maybe adopt more of. There was a church in Chicago I went to that actually was still living in that, and it's amazing, amazing place. And, but on the other side of things, we are pretty independent, and we are self-sufficient. But we're not going to talk about this today. I'll, I'll leave that to P Pastor Brian in another week. So. On, on those topics. And while I'm sure that there are many that think Jesus' return is now is closer than ever, which you never know with everything that's going on. But I haven't seen that as a main reason for not working. Um, and yet, today, we have the opportunity to be idle way more than in past generations. With modern conveniences of life, we tend to have more free time, which we inevitably fill. And now in this quarantine time, many have been without work, or at least um, are working at home for the last four months, which has possibly given even more time to, for idleness. Now, we might, while we might fill that idle time with any number of things, I dare say the number one thing that we fill is, anyone have it? Screen time. Wow, even the same words. Were you depressed? Okay. Screen time. TV, internet, phone, Netflix, Amazon Prime, YouTube, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, gaming, watching Crossroads services online for you right there. You name it. It's just so easy these days to spend our lives in front of our phone, TV, tablet, computer, much more so during a quarantine when we aren't able to spend time with friends or go to places outside of our homes as easily. So when we're unsettled, what do we do? We go there. When we don't know what to do with our time, what do we do? We go there. How do I know this? Because I do it too. From kids to parents 
to grandparents. Most of us do that. I would give an example of my own family, but they're sitting right here, so we'll just go on from now. Okay. <laughs> you guys lucked out. Okay. And while we probably aren't all using the screen time to promote our patron, doing immoral tasks for them and severely criticizing other patrons, do we by chance use it to do some questionable and not so moral practices? Might we spend too much time on social media or even less reputable and addicting websites that promote gambling or pornography? Pornography is a struggle that touches countless lives both in the church and outside of it. But we have children here, so we'll leave that topic for another day and another forum. Again, Pastor Brian can leave that another time. Okay. While one of the most predominant cultural phenomenons of Paul's day was the patronage system, we have an equally damaging system with similar effects. If you look at our system, particularly here in the United States, it's based on criticism and judging the other. And it's only growing rapidly, day by day. We tend to see everything in dualistic ways. Black and white, Democrat and Republican, right and wrong. And for some reason, we are always the right ones. Even if we all have different views, we are the right ones. We use our idleness to promote and defend ourselves, our point of view and our ideology, our political party, our social agenda, and this is the important thing. And we criticize and even villainize others who might think differently than ourselves. There is our way, which is right, and we will defend that point of view to the utmost. And we do this in a public sphere for everyone to see. I'm sure you are thinking about many people and issues right now, but I'm not going to go there. I could, but I don't want to be divisive. Oh, the joys of social media. Now that I've probably offended many, or at least made some feel mildly unsettled, including myself, what do we do with this? Well, I think the first thing that we can do is to contact Pastor Brian. If you're here, you can go to him after the service and telling him that having Pastor Jason speak once a year is far too much. <laughs> Probably once a decade or even once a century or not at all. I think that would be much better. So after you make that phone call, or send that text or talk to him after the service. If you, if you need an email address, I can get that to you. Something else that we have to do, we have to look at it honestly. We need to start by looking at ourselves. We're so often looking at other people. And not, we, we look at ourselves and not those that we disagree with. This is a hard and a time-consuming process, and one where negative traits aren't often noticed. 
at first glance. We may become defensive or shut down. But we can't move on until we've identified the problem and have a real desire within our spirits for change. One way that can help us in this search is to create space. Okay, wait, you're, you're, doesn't space cause idleness? Am I, I think I'm contradicting myself right now. Um, I, I might be, but stay with me. While space in our schedule can lead to idleness, which can lead to negative traits, use the right way. It can lead towards transformation and change if we are intentional about it. After all, transformation in our apprenticeship with Jesus can only happen as we create space. Space enough to be open to God's Spirit leading in our hearts and our lives. So be intentional to make time for prayer and meditation, which means both listening and talking with God. That's one of the reasons that we have cabins in our woods, times of retreat to create space, to listen to God. I've had many moments of transformation in, in those woods, and, I'm sure, and I, we've heard from countless others as well. Well, there is another way. Scripture. Scripture is an amazing way to hear from God on how to be formed into his image. If you would like some scripture on this particular issue of divisiveness, some of these letters from Paul might be helpful to consider. Bear with me because there's quite a bit of scripture. But no, this is just a small sampling of what he wrote on this issue. He pretty much wrote this to all the churches that he talked to about this issue of divisiveness. So the first one is this, Romans 12, 18. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. And again, in Romans 14.1, in the message translation, Paul writes this. Welcome, with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department, remember they have their own history to deal with. So treat them gently. And in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he writes this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And to Titus, Paul writes, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. And there's a third way that can help us to discover things within ourselves that need to be transformed and that's to seek wise counsel. Don't seek out persons that tell you what you want to hear. That never changes anything. It just makes us more firm in our resolve. 
because those people are easy to find. Seek those who have wisdom to speak into your lives because they love you. And they also want to see you continue to grow in your apprenticeship to Christ. At Crossroads, we call these people spiritual companions. If you're having problems finding a spiritual companion, you can contact Pastor Brian, Pastor Jake, or myself, and we can definitely work to help you to find someone on this issue or, or anything else. It just helps on our journey. So, once we've identified the problem through one or more of these spiritual practices, we can start to work intentionally towards a solution. Space. Prayer. Scripture. And spiritual companions. They can also help us, even after we've discovered the problem, they can help, help us to discover how we can grow in those areas, how we can grow more into our who we are in Christ. So Paul also mentioned several things in the passage that can help when dealing with idleness and divisiveness. In verse 13, he says to never tire of doing good. Never tire of doing good. Paul echoed this um, when he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. I think that needs to be said again. Whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. So, before speaking or typing something that might be questionable, before commenting on a post, it's just good to pause and think, is this action or comment, doing good? As Paul said in this letter, do good. Or as he said in another letter, is this, is this comment glorifying God? Is what I'm doing right now glorifying God? Next, in verse 14, another thing that he says, he said to stay away from the idol. He even said this in Titus. You read that. He also said it many other times in other books. So he said to stay away from the idol, those that are being divisive, so that they will be ashamed. Now I've had friends who have been shunned by their church and in turn by their family for very minimal points of disagreement. And the shunning took decades to repair. And in some instances, it never even happened. Cat knows these people too. I don't, think what this, I don't think this is what Paul is saying here. If we don't associate with idle, critical people that Paul is speaking about, I think we all might be pretty lonely people. What I think he's trying to say is don't encourage and condone this kind of divisive behavior. Don't join in. It's so easy to be critical around critical people. Either we encourage a critical comment or we argue against it. Both can be equally divisive. And it's particularly easy to do so while online. A comment in response to a divisive comment in person or on social media can make the division grow. 
in our hearts for whatever or for whoever, but not only our hearts, it makes the division grow in our community. And Paul, that's what he is warning about. He puts this best in my favorite scripture when he writes this in chapter 4, verse 1 through 6 in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian church, for the Corinthian church, for the Roman church, for the Ephesian church, was that they would be unified. That they would be one. This was simply echoing Jesus' only prayer that he prayed specifically for us. His only prayer that he prayed for us when he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, so that the world might believe. People don't come to believe by us being right and defending it to the utmost against all who would disagree. They come to believe when they see unity. And so we work towards unity and not towards division. We lift up rather than tear down. We encourage rather than gossip. We listen rather than speak. We seek to understand rather than defend our view. We live at peace with others if at all possible. And yes, it is a lot more possible than you think. And how do we live in unity and peace with each other? By opening ourselves up to the prodding of God's Spirit, recognizing His presence in the other, in others, even in those that we might not see eye to eye with then we slowly, maybe not even noticeable at first, begin to take on the habits and the traits of the one we are called to live our life after and for. We take steps forward in this journey of faith as we live, work, play, serve, forgive, reconcile, and love in the ways of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much 
that you used Paul in such an amazing way, in such amazing ways throughout the churches of that realm so long ago. But we thank you that that even comes to us today, and we are still impacted by um, his letters. Because we find that issues are still the same today as they were back then. And we know that you prayed for unity for us. And that was Paul's prayer as well. So I pray that we would take steps towards that. Let us just look inside to, to see, um, see things that would be cause, causing division. And may your spirit be the one that working. Not, not our own mind or our own way of doing things, but may we be receptive to what your spirit would do in our own hearts and lives. And we thank you that you can, are always speaking. That you, and I pray that um, we would just be receptive to that. That we would be receptive to walking more in the ways of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing together.